greet each other. Glad to have you here worshiping with us today at Crossroads. just running into God's arms. And you know what is such a great thing as the band uh, plays this song and just as we sing this song, <clears throat> I want you to picture God just with his arms open wide and how he never, ever, ever moves. He never leaves us through our trials and our tribulations, our ups and our downs, our good times and our bad times. His arms are 
always open wide, ready for us to just run into them and to rest in Jesus. And I think that is so awesome. So as we sing this song, just picture Jesus is there, just saying, come to me today, all who you are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest.
are really excited, uh, and, we, and we say that because we mean it. We're really excited about what God's going to teach us this morning. And as you are sitting where you're sitting, know that you are here for a purpose, and we believe that. And uh, so this morning, I just want to ask if you pass the friendship folders. If you're new with us, uh, we'd appreciate if you just let us know that you're new. Uh, find us in the lobby at the Welcome Center, and we'd love to give you something for free, get you connected, and, and just hear a story. I talked to Two people last night, brand new for the first time ever, and the stories are deep, the hurts are deep, and uh, it's just, you know, so just know you're not unique in that situation. We want to connect you and uh, just hear what's going on and better serve you and your family. And we have something really exciting, too, that we're we're really uh, thankful for is this Next Steps gathering on February 18th. This is going to be a time for you to take that next step. And so maybe some of you are probably used to the term membership one-on-one or something on those terms. This is going to be our answer to membership. And so we're going to answer questions like, what's the mission here at Crossroads? What are our values? What's the vision? As well as, hey, I'm new or, hey, I've been here for a while, but, you know, I don't, I have some questions. This is that, this is the spot for you to do that. Free lunch, free childcare. All we are asking is that you RSVP and let us know that you're coming. You can do that in two different ways. One is right in the inside of your bulletin. There's a little you know, quarter piece of paper, just fill it out, drop it in the offering or in the, one of the boxes as you leave, or you can do that online at our website. Just RSVP, let us know. But that's the next steps, and that's going to be on February 18th, right after the second service in the gym. So we're really, really excited about that time. Ken mentioned last week, and they went really, really fast, but this book, uh, The Case for Christ, they are available and they're free. Uh, just grab one when you're leaving, and they're available at the Welcome Center when you, uh, when you walk out of the service. So anyway, they are free, and uh, there's probably, what, seven or eight left, I think, so nine. <laughs> so if you want mine, you can just come grab me. But anyway, we're excited about how this is going to help you, and uh, just know that uh, actually something on the back of this uh, that Ken and I were just talking about, only God can do. It just says something like, you know, what will your verdict be? You know, and that's something that Ken's going to talk about this morning. So feel free to grab that as you leave. But we know that right now, this February, a lot of people are wrestling with sickness, and that's putting it lightly. And so we just want to keep uh, those who are just struggling with viruses and infections and, and a lot deeper than that. Uh, Brian Gaminder, uh, one of our congregants, is in the hospital uh, with a virus. Um, and so we just want to pray for him this morning. Um, just keep him in your prayers and the family. Um, and so at this point, I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward for our morning offering. If you're brand new with us, you um, are more than welcome to participate, but feel free to let the plate pass. This is for those who are normal uh, in the grace of giving, but you are absolutely welcome to participate. Um, sorry to be so long-winded, but while we're, watching, or while we're doing the offering, we're going to watch a video about some of the faith stories and journeys of some of the Eagles and the Patriots players uh, as we sell, as this, you know, Super Bowl Sundays today. So watch that video as we do the offering, but let's go ahead and pray. God, we love you. And right now, God, my heart is just uh, drawn to uh, several people, God, who um, I just know personally who are wrestling, uh, God, with uh, just sickness. God, we do pray for Brian. God, she would just heal his body. And God, just as he uh, continues to wrestle through uh, his sickness, God, with this virus, and Lord, we just ask that you would heal him. God, just be with the doctors and be with all the nurses. God, just encourage his heart now. God, just let him know you're here. Just give him that peace that your, your word talks to us about, that peace that d- just passes human understanding. It doesn't make sense, but because we know you, we just have it. And so, God, we pray for that peace for Brian and for Audra and their family. And, God, we uh, just pray for all those who uh, are unnamed right now, God, who are wrestling through sickness, uh, wrestling through mental health, God, wrestling through just all kinds of different things. Lord, we know that the hurts and the, and the stories are, are deep. But God, we know that you are right there along with us. Lord, we thank you so much for just the wonderful people here, God, that give so freely. And God, we give now out of a heart of sacrifice and humility to your greater cause, God, to your kingdom. May people come to know you. And God, we are excited at this morning as you speak to us through your word, you speak to us through Ken. God, would you speak to us in only the way that you can through your Holy Spirit. God, we love you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.
everyone, and welcome. This is Super Bowl weekend, and I'm your host, James Brown. You know, whether you're an avid fan, a casual spectator, or someone who loves watching the game for the commercials, the Super Bowl continues to be one of our most popular cultural events each and every year. And with kudos and gratitude to the donors, NFL players, and the amazing team at Sports Spectrum, you're now watching Football Sunday 2018. This season, like every season I've been here, uh, you just have your ups and your downs. So to be at a point after week four, two and two, some bad losses, it's like they're done. To be here now, uh, I think it's just a credit to us sticking together. It just goes to show you that uh, it's a long journey. It took the guys and coaches to stick together in this locker room and tune out the noise on the outside and stick it to one another and playing for each other. Scripture tells us that adversity is a good thing, that God uses that a certain way. And I think that adversity was used to kind of help make our football team come together more. One of the qualities that I think makes it so special is guys care about other guys um, outside of the football game. And they carry you through, they get you through that stuff, and, and you're happy that you have those guys and they bring you through all the tough times. When we get together at different times, uh, when we talk about things to me that are more important in football, if you need a help as being a father or a husband, advice and those things. I mean, we had a huge group of guys in here that that walk that walk, and, and it's hard to walk that life. And, but when you have great guys around you to hold you accountable, um, that helps you a lot. I've been so encouraged this year uh, by the body of believers that we have here. So many strong men that God has gifted in, in different ways. It's really been uh, an honor to be a part of such a unique group this year. It's an overwhelming sense of brotherhood and joyfulness and camaraderie, accountability uh, in the things of God, in the character of God, and how we should live and, and move and have our being. I've grown a lot, you know, since being here in my faith. My faith could not have come at a better time. It's been so much more valuable than any of the wins that we've done. It's been the true treasure of, of coming here to New England. So I really feel like he's given me this great opportunity to play a game that I love so much. He's given me people in my life, uh, ability to go out here and do this. And then ultimately it gives me a platform to give him glory. You know, without Christ, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you guys right now. All glory goes to him. just authentic community you know guys are, are talking about their struggles guys are talking about the things that they're working through the things that you know are, are going well in their lives the things that are you know difficulties whatever it might be you know the biggest thing about the guys in the locker room is that uh, there's a bunch of unselfish players you know it's a really you know, tight-knit group it's really what a team should be these are guys that not only love me as a player but encourage me more so off the field to stay true to the word um, to be in the Word, to consistently seek growth. My relationship with God is the only reason why I'm playing football. Every time I'm out in the field, um, I'm not trying to bring my name glory. I'm trying to bring God's name glory because He's the one who's given me the opportunity and um, you know, really paved the way for you know me to be here in this position I'm in now. When I'm focused on Him, everything else can be scattered. Everything else can be hectic, and I'm at peace and I'm level. And um, you know, I think ultimately that's the love and the grace and the beauty of, of Christ and having a true relationship with Him. My relationship with Jesus is second to none. Last year um, was the first year that I truly dedicated my life to Christ. I got baptized in March, and with Jesus in my life, I know exactly who and why I'm playing this game. This team really has become um, a brotherhood that has actually even gone even into the coaches and the players. They truly are a family. Carson went down. It was obviously tough for the team. Um, a guy that was pretty much the rock of the team. And when he got hurt, everyone was extremely devastated. We were obviously playing uh, extremely well. You know, we were on pace to go win the NFC East. We were just really clicking. Offensively, we've been playing really well throughout the game. I almost felt like I was playing as fast and as, like, just carefree in a good way. Just, like, I felt like I was in total control out there and potentially, like, had to feel for the game that I probably hadn't had on that level yet. Um, I just felt this probably as good as ever. 
and uh, scrambled around and dove in and didn't think much of it. And I started standing up and I realized, okay, my leg, my left leg, something's wrong. Every time I stepped, I just, I could not put pressure on it. I could barely walk. And so I stayed in there for four more plays. Two of them were runs and I caught the ball, handed it off. I usually carry out my fake and do everything and that wasn't happening. And then he called a pass and I'm like, okay, I got to get the ball out. Um, I can't stand here very long and threw it. It was incomplete. I just turned and put my head down and started walking off. I'm thinking third down. And the coach was like, no, 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 go back out there. Fourth down, we're going for it. I'm like, all right, here we go. As I'm like struggling just to walk back to the huddle. And I was just like, okay, well, I hope they, um, my first read's open. I'm like, something's got to happen. Of course not. Um, I just stood in there, stood in there. Someone finally started breaking through the line, and I just kind of threw it in the direction of Alshon and Nelly. Like, and it was all it was all a gift from God that that was completed for a touchdown. Usually I'm running in there to celebrate and have fun with my guys, and I just said, okay, cool. And I walked straight to the train. I'm like, we need to go in that tent. Something's wrong. And uh, I just remember saying, Jesus, 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 like over and over, like, I need you, I need you. Trainers were looking at it, doing their tests, and I honestly wasn't even really paying attention to their tests. I was just laying back, Jesus, 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 because he's the only one that could make it better, and he's the only one that could provide me peace. And at the same time, I'm like, your will, because I knew I needed him emotionally, physically, um, kind of everything in that moment. Woke up and from the surgery and felt okay. And then the next day came and I felt miserable. It was one of the worst days of my life because I just, I couldn't even sleep. Like there was just so much pain and you never think you're gonna be that guy. Um, and I'm just like, well, this is me now. I am that guy, this is reality for me and how am I gonna come back from it? To know like all the pain I'm going through and to think of what Jesus went through for me, it made me recognize a deeper level of love than I think I ever have really felt in a long time. It's always easy to say he's in control of everything, but the more I recognize, like I need him in literally every moment of every situation when I can't even walk and do things, um, the more I realize like he's got everything in the palm of his hand. You just have to know and be comfortable knowing that this is exactly where God has us. We know that he doesn't make mistakes, he doesn't pace back and forth, he's seated on the throne, he knows that this is exactly where we need to be. And just this whole season, you know, guys have stepped up, backups have stepped up, guys have prepared like they were going to be the starter, you know, going into that game even though they weren't, and um, they were just ready for their, their number to be called. I think that's what's made this year so amazing, is how this entire team, players, coach, staff, secretaries, just coming together for this common cause uh, of family. Toward the end of C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, one of the characters sums up what all the other characters are feeling. And my hunch is that you might be feeling it too. He stomped his right foot on the ground and then cried out, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. You know, life in the kingdom is that home we've all been looking for all of our days, whether we knew it or not. It's where we belong. It's our real country. And friends, whatever you do today, whoever you're with, wherever you go, I pray that you laugh and play and cheer and pretend that you're a kid again playing on an elementary school football field. The honor has truly been mine to spend this time together with you. It's Super Bowl 52. God bless you, and by all means, enjoy the game. to get that video of the testimonies of people that, that are Christians that are in the Super Bowl. I was hoping it'd be a black and gold Sunday, if you know what I'm saying, right? That was the plan. That was the original plan, but, uh, you know, at least we got the Eagles at the other end of the state. Can we fly with the Eagles, right? Uh, sorry, I did have to show the Patriots as part of the deal, right? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but this morning, I just want, I want to share with you just a few thoughts here as, uh, as we get started. You know, 
not only did we see those guys, but the starting quarterback for the, for the Eagles now, the guy who, who followed up, Carson Wentz, he is an online student at Liberty University through the seminary at Liberty University, and he has aspirations to be a youth pastor. Can we give God a hand for that? that how awesome is that, you know? And... Uh, and, and I'm thinking, man, if I, you know, I would, I, that'd been cool if I could have been a football player before I was a youth pastor. That'd been cool. But if you've ever seen me run, you know better, all right? But uh, I'm just thanking God that He's put some people out there that are that are being light in the darkness, man. And you know, when you talk about the struggle, look at Carson's struggle there, man. And, uh, and you look at look at all those guys that are out there playing today. One of the big struggles that we all face is what those guys are going to face today, and it is with our ego. It's with our self, self who, how highly or poorly we think of ourself. And can you imagine if they, they tie up all their ego, all their all everything goes into this game today? There will be somebody who's winning and somebody who's losing. And one team will go home, the winner, and one team will go home, the loser. And we just pray that the Eagles can fly strong today, right? So, I mean, it's just like you, 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 have, you have it set where you want this thing to go, and then your identity crashes. And as we go through the struggles, I want you to understand this, that the struggle is real, God is real, and God is greater. Would you say that with me this morning? The struggle is real, God is real, God is greater. One more time. The struggle is real. God is real. God is greater. And so as we look through there, we can look and see what the Scriptures say. Romans eight thirty seven. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Apostle Paul points us on to Jesus and says, listen, this is, this is who, where all your hope is. It's in Christ. And all these things, through all the struggles that you face, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And as we look at life, you know, you, you go through the scriptures and you see God kept changing life after life after life. And what he was doing, he wasn't making people just good moral people. And, and you know, an, anybody can produce good moral people. A Buddhist can produce good morals. A Muslim can produce good morals. Anybody can go out and, and fear tactics. People use, plenty of churches will use fear tactics to try and just produce good morals. Um, it, the Christian life is not about good morals. It's not about, okay, have I sinned less? Is there less sin to me today? Am I doing good versus bad? No, no, no. God says he's coming and he wants to transform you at the very heart of who you are. And one of the things that has to get transformed is our, uh, is our image of ourself, our ego, and our self-worth. Because many times we think too highly and other times we think too poorly of ourselves, And we want to go through, and we want to see how God takes the struggle of ourself and he transforms it. Now, the passage we're going to look at this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 is where we're going to begin. And just a little background, this letter is written to the church at, at Corinth. And uh, as he writes the letter, there's a bunch of divisions that are happening. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's a whole lot of things that are happening there. Paul had founded the church at Corinth. And that, he was the original founder of the church. So he came. Before Paul, there was no church there. He comes. He tells people about Jesus. They become followers of Christ. And now they're, they're moving on. They're following God. It's a, it's a big, big deal. He's planted the church. He moves on. He goes to another city to plant more churches. Other evangelists come into the town of Corinth. A guy by the name of Paulus. Another guy by the name of Cephas. And as you go through and you, and you see this, these other evangelists came. And what happened was there was, there was like, there was dissension. There was, there was a, a bunch of pride that was swelling up. And it was the, these people here said, well, we're better than everybody else because we were discipled by Paul. Now, could you imagine that, being discipled by the Apostle Paul? Uh, and, and, of course, your, your pride would well up, right, because it's the Apostle Paul. I was discipled by Jim Watts, you know what I mean? I, I, and, and, I, and I'm pretty proud of that. He, he, he poured his life into me. And so, you know, you could say, well, Jim Watts taught me versus somebody else taught me. That's exactly what it was like. And so he, these, but Jim, uh, but, but here was the Apostle Paul, the founder of the church. And look how he addresses the situation. 1 Corinthians three twenty one, And he says, so then, no more boasting about men. He comes and he says, this is a pride issue. What's going on in the church is pride, and pride divides. I want you to understand that. Pride divides. It always divides. Pride never unites. Pride divides. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours. 
whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world of, or, or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. You see, what, what has happened there what has happened all over the world. It's, it continues to this day. People always pick who their followers are. And, you know, well, they follow this guy and, well, they won't associate with you because, the, you know, their follower is not part of your following. And, and so this whole thing comes up and the Apostle Paul says, listen, at the end of the day, Apollos, no doubt, is different than Paul and so is Cephas. And he says, either way, listen, if you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. You've got the message, the basic core of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 1, the next chapter, he continues. He says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. He's saying, you ought to just regard us. We're servants. We're not God. You ought to look at Paul. You ought to look at Apollos. And you ought to look at Cephas as just three guys that, that are men that are used by God. And, and we're entrusted with the secret things. And, and here's what the secret was that Jesus died on the cross and came back to life and that all could come to repentance. Not just the Jews anymore, but that all could come to repentance. And so as they would teach this, this was new revelation to the people. And God would, God would speak. And, and by the way, when I'm up here speaking, I'm giving you God's word. Do you, do you understand that the secret things of God, that comes from God? That's not something that I'm going to come and, and, and re- reveal to you. This is, I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to read God's Word. I'm going to prepare, be ready to go up here. But at the end of the day, it is the Holy Spirit speaks to you. When we open His Word, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who ministers to you. So sometimes you walk out of here, you're on fire. You're like, man, it's because the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And sometimes God's working at other times, uh, and other times maybe he's not talking to you as much. But there are some times you know he's just dealing with you. That's what he's talking about. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In other words, teachers need to, need to understand their, their responsibility. So Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, all three of us, we must understand our responsibility. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. He says, listen, you don't have to fight this battle. You don't have to be going on about, well, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm, more, I'm better because I'm a follower of Paul. But what about Apollos? He doesn't teach it exactly right. He says, listen, at the end of the day, God will fix it. At the end of the day, God, God will take care of his motives. If he's coming for the wrong motive, God will take care of that. Verse, uh, verse 6, now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. You know, come back to God's word here. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. So he says here, he says, no more boasting. No more boasting. And I don't want you to take pride over one man over another. I don't want there to, I don't want there to be divisions because you say that you're more proud because you were discipled by me, Paul. Or you think that you're better because you were discipled by Apollos. No, no, no. It's a level playing field. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. The word pride here is really the word puffed up. And, 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 and it, it means just that. It means puffed up. Then you will not be puffed up. And you know, that's really what pride does. Uh, in, the, in this letter of Corinthians here, to the Corinthians, he uses this term puffed up about five times. And as he uses that, it, it's kind of, you know, there are other words that they can use for pride. But here, he's using a word puffed up. It comes from the word bellows. You know, can, can, you know what a bellow is when you open a bellow? I, I used to play an accordion. We had the bellows in an accordion. Small little odd known fact about your pastor plays an accordion, right? Uh, I play three songs. Anyhow, so it's like when you open the bell, the air gets in there. And here's what happens when we have pride. It's like a balloon. You start to blow it up. And it stretches and stretches and stretches. And, And there's a couple things I want you to understand about this word. When you see that word puffed up, when you see pride here, he's trying to communicate to you. Then you will not get puffed up. You will not be in pride. You will not be in division 
in the church over one man against another. Here's the, here's the thing about pride. When we look at pride, and we all have to struggle with pride. I think sometimes I hear people, they're so proud that they're not bad. I'm thinking, do you realize how bad that is? <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, I'm, you know, my, my only struggle is pride. Uh, that's on God's top list of problems. Top list. I'm not, all I have to do is struggle with pride. God hates pride. It's pride is not part of his plan. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't do all the big things. I'm just proud. Well, maybe you ought to do something. (laughs) Maybe you ought to understand that pride is a very serious issue. And when you hear this word pride, here's what comes, here's here's what entails. There's a, a couple things in our natural state. Our natural condition, the way our self is designed, the way that the ego operates without God, okay, is to be proud and to to be puffed up. It's overinflated. It's swollen. It's beyond its proper size. It's related to to this idea of just flowing and inflating, like blowing up a balloon to the point where it's about to pop. And there's four things here I'm going to give you. First of all, we're empty, you know, I want you to think of the air. The bellows are filled and it's empty. We're, we're, we're blowing air in and as, as we blow it, it becomes bigger and bigger and gets empty. It gives you this idea, puffed up. It's not filled up, it's puffed up. And so as you take and you blow into that balloon, it's just puffed up. And so the ego becomes overinflated and it's puffed up and, and it has nothing at the center. It's just air, and as you let a little bit of air out, then you go from being puffed up to deflated. There's nothing of substance. Soren Kierkegaard says this in his book, Sickness Unto Death, the great philosopher. He says this, that that it is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something beside God. See, spiritual pride comes when we think that we've got it figured out. I've got this all under control, and I'm going to offer God something. And what happens, we begin to live our life that way, like we are something in, in the presence of God. And God says, you know what, I've taken care of that. You don't have to get your identity from something here. Uh, Soren says that we try to make the center of our life something else that we search for, uh, for something that will give us a sense of worth. So, so we take, it's like this, God has a place for him in your life. And God is so big. And you think of how big the God is. So if you're going to take him out of the center and you're going to say, all right, instead of coming to God, I'm going to come to my job and get my self-worth from here. Or I'm going to get my self-worth from my parenting skills. Or I'm going to get my self-worth from my, from my, my financial skills or my relationship skills. You know, when, when you do that, here's what happens. God is so big. And you take him, you take this big God out of the center and you put him over here to the side, now you've got this big gaping hole inside of you, and you try to put your job in there. You know what happens? It's just not going to cover. It's going to rattle around in there. Uh, You come and you try to put relationships in there. It just isn't going to, it's not going to fill. It's going to rattle around. It's a bumpy ride. It's it's really painful. It's, It's empty. And this is what we're talking about. When we're puffed up, it's empty. So we've got to be careful not to come and get our self-worth, our self-value from anything here on earth. And that is just so easy to do because everybody has something that you're good at, right? Um, as we continue here, not only is it empty, it's painful. A distended, overinflated balloon. The distended, overinflated ego is painful. The idea behind the word puffed up here is it's kind of like a, a, a body part that's overfilled. Uh, so much air, and you know, it's just like, man, there's just so much pain. And the ego often hurts in the same way. It has something wrong with it. It's, it's always drawing attention to itself. It's always making us think about how we look or how we've been treated. Sometimes we say that our feelings are hurt. Well, actually, it's our ego that gets hurt. Uh, my sense of my self-identity, it, it, because I've, my, my pain comes because, wow, what I was banking on, oh, now it's changed. And as I go through this, and, and it's painful, the, the, the ups and downs of it, it gets, it gets inflated, it gets deflated. Uh, it's busy. The idea here is busy. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, then you will not take pride over one man against another. It's aggressive. And here's what happens. When we have pride, at the core of pride 
is comparing and boasting. You see, if I'm proud, it's typically I'm comparing myself to somebody else. Or I'm boasting about it. And here's, here's where it's so delicate. The moment that I begin to compare myself to somebody else, and, and I think that I've arrived because I'm better than somebody, that it, I begin to lose. Because the, the battle is being fought. The struggle is now real. And as I'm moving forward with this, with this busyness, I'm tired out, I'm worn out, because I am always seeking somebody else's approval. Uh, the normal way the ego deals with emptiness is to compare itself with somebody else. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The uh, Mere Christianity, I encourage you, if you haven't read that book, go get that book. Great book to read uh, about some, uh, a great thinker. C.S. Lewis was one of the great thinkers. Uh, and, he, and he has a famous chapter on pride in this book. And he points out that pride is by nature competitive. It is competitive, competitiveness that is at the very heart of pride. And he says this. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next person. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. It gets its pleasure out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer. They are proud of being more clever. They are proud of being better-looking than others. If anyone else became equally rich or clever, if, if everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. And so C.S. Lewis gives us some insight to pride. It's all about this competition. And it's like you build your resume. Do you ever go out and do that? Uh, I remember when our kids were young, you're like, you know, they'd say, hey, Dad, you think this will look good on my high school transcript, on my resume as I go out? What, what, what are colleges looking for? And sometimes we're doing it just to build the resume. In the meantime, God has something way deeper than building your resume. He, you don't even have to hand him a resume, which is so awesome. God's not looking for your resume. And so there, there's something, something far deeper there that he wants to give you. And then it's fragile. Um, anything that's overinflated is fragile. You, you can barely touch. It's like the balloon that, that's about to pop. And maybe you know people like that. They come in. When they come in the room, it's like, man, they are so inflated. You're like, whoa, this thing is going to pop at any moment, you know? It's like, wow, this person is consumed with themselves. What happens is we can become, we can get a superiority complex when we, when we blow that pride up so big. And it's, it's like, man, this baby's ready to pop. And then whenever we deflate it, we get, get an inferiority complex because we were one time comparing to somebody else and now we're not good enough. You see, when we compare, either I'm good enough, I feel better than the guy I'm comparing myself to, or I feel less than the guy I'm comparing myself to. It's an either or. You know, it's very, very rarely are you dead even, right? Um, and, and so when we're dealing with it, it was very fragile. <clears throat> I'm going to share with you a quote this morning from an entertainer, and I don't often quote from this person, it's Madonna, okay? I just want you to know, I don't, this is not from the Bible, what I'm going to share with you, all right? Um, this is Madonna, and I can't believe I'm actually sharing it. But what she says really identifies, and I think she's more self-aware than she realizes. Uh, she says this, Madonna says this, and this is about 10 years ago in a magazine called Vogue. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and, unin and uninteresting unless I do something else. You, you see, remember her career, as you look at her career, she just kept doing the next strange thing to the next strange thing to the next strange thing, right? Well, she's telling you. Look, I, I had to do something else because, she continues, because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. So here's a lady who's, you know, as far as what the world has to offer, she's found everything that the world has to offer, and she's going out, and she's gone, and, and her ego just got to keep going up and keep going up and keep going up. And every now and then she makes a splash on a scene now. And, you know, she wants you to think she's 25 years old. And we all know she's not. And it's just like, wow, this thing is crazy. She has to keep going up and up. And that's what 
how fragile this ego of ours is in our natural state. But I want to, I want to encourage you that we, we are puffed up. And as we are puffed up, the Apostle Paul was dealing with us. Uh, you know, who's the, whose mentor were you? Uh, you, you? You were mentored by Paul? Wow. Well, we were mentored by Apollos, and Apollos, he found out more revelation later on. He came on. He gave us this edge. And so, man, the Apostle Paul says, forget that stuff. Pride divides. It will always divide. And especially in a church, in the body of Christ, when we begin to think that we're better than somebody or when we think that we're less than somebody, it divides. And so what we've got to do is we've got to come and we have to do what Paul did. See, Paul had a transformed view of himself. If you look in other scriptures, Paul says, I had all reason to brag. If there were bragging rights, Paul had it because he could do everything that, I mean, he, he was the, uh, the chief of Pharisees. He had hit all the religious standards, all the religious requirements. Then he becomes a follower of Christ. Christ makes a difference in his life, and God transforms his, his self-esteem here, transforms his ego I mean, he was a tremendously powerful leader. He was incredibly uh, bold. I mean, Paul was an incredible guy, but it wasn't because Paul was getting his value from somewhere else. He was coming back to God. 1 Corinthians 4.1, we'll go back to there. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithfully. He says, listen, our responsibility is high. We are doing what we have to do. God is working. So, so don't, no more divisions, no more boasting. Verse 3, and this is where we see his transformed self-image, his transformed ego. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Now this is so powerful. He's using a term here. He says, judge. It's in a courtroom. I want you to envision going in a courtroom. And what's the judge do? The judge gives you a verdict, right? So he says, I care very little if I get my verdict from you. From all the people in Corinth, I care very little if I get it from you or from any other human court. He, he, he could say it like this. I care very little if I get my verdict from the church at Corinth from the Colossians, from the Ephesians, from the Galatians, or the Philippians. I care very little if I am judged by you or any other humans. You see, he wasn't going to take his self-worth. He wasn't going to make his identity on what somebody else said. We go that way. It's natural for us. We want to go there. It's called the approval trap. How many times have I heard people tell me that they, they, uh, they just can't please their parents? One guy told me after his dad died, said, yeah, well, uh, you know, my, my, my dad never really accepted me. He never cared for me like he did for my brother because my brother did this particular career, and I suppose that he really enjoyed that more. Um, family, career, all these places that we can go for approval. We can go to, you know, if I want my family to approve of me, and then they don't. What, what happens when I'm waiting for a verdict from my family that I'm okay and my family says, you're not okay? Because I know. <laughs> what happens whenever you go into your office and, and your job that you poured your life in and your, and your boss says, you're not okay? This doesn't work anymore. It's time to go. Uh, what, what, what happens whenever you hit that? Is your life done? Is your, is your, is your self-identity gone? And he goes a step further. He says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. I do not even judge myself. The last half of that verse, I don't even judge myself. He says, not only do I wait for you for a verdict, he says, I'm not even going to get the verdict from me. Now, check us out. He says, I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me. Yeah. And he takes it a step further. I have a very low opinion of my opinion of me. Whoa. That See, that's, the world system doesn't operate that, that way, does it? The world system says, oh, yeah, don't have a very high opinion. Don't, don't worry about what other people think, but build yourself up. Pick up your bootstraps and keep going, and you're going to be okay, and tell yourself everything that's good about you. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, I know what myself says about myself. I'm not too happy about myself. Therefore, I'm not even going to listen to myself. Paul knew 
Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. No matter what he did, no matter his ups, his downs. 1 Timothy 1.15, he says this, he was confident. He was an incredibly confident leader. Look what he says. He says, this is a faithful saying and it's worthy of all acceptance. That Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, he doesn't say of whom I was chief. He is the Apostle Paul, and he says, of whom I currently am chief. He knew what he had to deal with. He says, he continues on there, he says, not only am I going to uh, uh, not get my identity from you, I'm not going to get it from me. And he says, look, I'm the chief of sinners. And what Paul is giving us an insight here, and I want you to catch this, is that your sin and your identity are not connected. Your sin and your identity are not connected. I want you to catch this. We all have sin that we struggle with. We will keep growing. We will keep moving forward to the, uh, for, for God, right? But you're dealing with something, and your sin is not your identity. Man, how many times have I run into a guy who says, you know what, I'm just an alcoholic. I said, what do you mean you're an alcoholic? Well, you know, I've struggled with this all my life, and he's doing really good. I said, no, you're not an alcoholic. You are the child of God. You have been saved. You've been bought with a price. See, what he was doing was he was taking his performance and then making a verdict. But only, do you realize something here? That only in God's court do you get a verdict and then performance follows. Okay? Check this out. Only in God's court do you get a, a verdict and then performance follows. Uh, if, 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 when you make the verdict, it, uh, it, it, it fails. You make your own verdict, it fails. It keeps failing. And uh, the Apostle Paul said, I will only glory in the cross. So only in Christ do you get a verdict before the performance. We have taken our life and we said, I perform, therefore, hey, I'm good. Or therefore, hey, I'm bad. And God says, your performance does not affect the verdict. I love you so much that I sent my son Jesus to pay for your sin once for all forever. Do you realize you don't have to go into the trial courtroom? You don't have to go into the courtroom of your boss tomorrow. Your boss probably doesn't like you. It's okay. You go in there, you don't have to wait for his verdict for you to be okay. The God of the universe says, I love you. And I have taken care of that once for all forever. And see, when, we're, when we are relying on other people to give us the verdict, that's where it's this fragile ego. That's where it ha- you have to keep blowing it up. Did I do good? Well, maybe I didn't do good. Oh, well, I'll just do I better. And, and we get into this, this game and this cycle. He says, I don't care what others think, and I don't care what I think. Um, you know, when we, when we deal with identity, we get our identity from Christ. And it's not based upon somebody else's verdict. Do you realize that the performance can follow? God gives the verdict, you're my child, and now the, follow, now the performance follows the verdict. It's the only place you can get that. Everywhere else, you're condemned for your performance. Jesus says, I know your performance. I took care of it on the cross. I've made you my child. Now the performance changes. God can do that. Somebody, if you, you get your identity in Christ, somebody can tell you that you, you have a problem. You can deal with it. It's not the end of the world. You can grow from it. That's because our identity is in Christ, not in my performance. How do we get that transformed view of ourselves? Verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He says, I am not going to make my verdict based... I'm not going to receive a verdict from you. I'm not going to receive a verdict from any other court. I'm not going to receive a verdict from me. God is the judge. It is the Lord who judges me. The Lord is the one. Only in Christ is where we get that. And so the performance versus verdict or verdict versus performance... And I want to extend to you today to come and accept the verdict from God that he says that he loves you, he cares about you, and that you are his child. You know, we can label people any way that we want, and we typically do. We label people a good person, a moral person, a successful person. Uh, uh, in, in the same way, we, uh, the, the, we make performance the first on all that. On all those, performance is always first. 
And it never fails, just like Madonna said. I just have to keep going for the next and the next. I've got to keep, keep working to keep that. God says you don't have to work to keep nothing. Jesus went on trial for you. You don't have to go into that courtroom anymore because Jesus went on trial and the verdict has been passed. The verdict is there. Christ died once for all for you. You are his child. And as you look through Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and on the back of your bulletin, I gave you a few fill-in-the-blanks. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to read this to you. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Now, from that verse... I've highlighted there's four different thoughts there. And I'm going to give the the fill in the blank because I want you to start to get the identity that God views you as. See, when I start to understand who I am, who I am in Christ, not what your verdict is of me or what anybody else's verdict is of me, I come to him. First of all, I am acceptable to God. I'm acceptable to God. He says that you are a chosen people. Uh, God, what he was saying here, listen, remember there was the Old Testament, you had the chosen people, Israel, and now the Gentiles could come to Christ. And he says, those that have come to Christ, you are his chosen people. God is the one who does the work. Uh, You are acceptable to God because of what he did on the cross, not because of something that you've done. He says, I'm going to take, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to give you a substitute, Jesus Christ. He pays once for all, forever. You are valuable. I am valuable to God. He says that you are God's very own possession. Do you often think of yourself like that? When you get up tomorrow and, and you had a disagreement in the household... You ever think about that after disagreement in the household, that you're God's very own possession? When I have a disagreement in the household, I ain't thinking too much about God, am I? I'm thinking about getting right and I got to win. I don't got to win. I can't win. I'm just telling you like it is, folks, right? I'm valuable to God because I'm his own possession. I am capable to do what God has planned for me. Do you understand you are capable? He says there in the scripture, he says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. He says that you are capable. This is not capable. This isn't just somebody who is, the extroverts are capable. This isn't just the musicians are capable. This is every one of us are capable to show others the goodness of God. He has gifted you. He's qualified you. Did you catch that? He's qualified you. You are capable. You can do what he has planned for you. I love that. Man, God has a plan for you and you can do it. And I am forgiven by God. For he's called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Now take that and match it up to anybody you can compare yourself to. Compare yourself to the guy who's outperforming you at work. Doesn't matter. I am the child of God. I am capable. I am forgiven. Compare that to the person, to, 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 to the relationship that failed. Compare that to the finances that failed. Compare that to the family that failed. And God says, listen, you are forgiven. You are my child. You are capable. I still have a plan and a purpose. Because things fell apart over here does not mean it is done. It is over. He says, I still have a plan. I have a purpose. You are capable. You are my child. Let's bow in prayer this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Christ. I want to invite you to receive your identity in Jesus Christ. Oh, a bunch of guys will play a football game today and there will be a winner and a loser. But hopefully the guys that you heard on the video this morning, they're going to get their identity in Christ, not whether or not they won a game. Because in light of eternity... Who cares if the whole country, who cares what the whole country thinks about you? It's that big that God is so much more valuable. The only opinion that counts, the only verdict that counts is the verdict that is passed by the one who says that your soul is more valuable than all the jewels of this world. Would you open your heart to Jesus? Maybe this morning you say, Pastor Ken, I've not yet opened my heart to Christ. I need to invite him in. If that's you, I want to encourage you this morning, just just pray something like this to God and just reach out in faith and say, God, I, I want to accept you.
just tell him something like this. Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I don't want to be identified as a sinner anymore. I want to be identified as a child of God. You came to this earth. You died on that cross. You paid for my sin. And I'm inviting you into my life right now. God, I need you to transform my heart, to transform my soul, transform my ego and self-worth, Lord. And for others, maybe you've been following God for some time, but you've reverted back to the world's system. Scripture says that we're in it, in the world, but we're not of it. It's not talking about crazy things. It's talking about the very core. He wants you to not live by the world's system that says that you are approved if you perform. You're approved if somebody else is happy with you. God says, I am happy with you. You're my child, you're my possession, and I love you. I want to ask you this morning, maybe you just need to come before the Lord and, and just maybe you can just visualize lifting these burdens of the self lifting that ego and laying it down at the foot of the cross. Maybe you want to come and kneel and pray in just a few moments. You can do that. Or even in your seat, just visualize in the quietness of this moment, lifting that burden off and leave it here. Walk away. It doesn't matter who approves of you. The only one that counts is God because he's the judge. And his verdict is eternal. Lord, be with your people as we respond to you now.